All right, so uh, let's get, turn to Romans chapter 1. I'm, gonna, I'm going to review. Um, we, did, we did the first part of this uh, in our last session, and so I'll be continuing the second part of that. Uh, the statement is, where do we stand? And that question in my outline is based upon the statement of Paul, um, in verse 16, chapter 1, verse 16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, to faith, unto faith, from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So what we were establishing out of that passage was the righteousness that's being spoken of here in Romans chapter 1, this, this idea of righteousness is not part of God's character. It's about his activity. And it's the righteous activity of God is revealed in the gospel. It was... It was righteous because God did what he needed to do to bring us to salvation instead of us trying to figure out what we needed to do to be saved. And so the righteousness of God is his work toward us so that we can be saved. Is God righteous? Yes, of course, but that's not the subject of what Paul is talking about. And uh, the idea of righteous uh, is, is this. It's there uh, in that first paragraph on your notes. Um, righteousness is about the activity by which God has made a way for mankind to be made righteous. And righteousness is the result of God having judged, right? To be made righteous means God judged you but then he lifted you up, established you because of the death of Jesus Christ and your faith in his work. So God brought you into a place of right standing with him. But before you could be in a place of right standing with God, he judged you as a sinner. Amen. Right? We were all judged. And so Paul's going to enlarge upon that in numerous passages through the book of Romans. Um, we were all in our sin, but God judged, and his activity of judging was for those who believe in his Son, he would bring you into a place of right standing with him. And so that you could be in that place where you were established in him, and then God would then bring into your life um, his purposes, his plans, reveal himself in you, uh, recreate you in his image and likeness, uh, remove all of the guilt and the shame of your sin, so that God was the one who is doing all of this. Now, what's going to happen in the next um, three chapters, through basically, basically through chapter 4, is that Paul is going to establish four different categories of ways that people have approached this right standing, 
How can we be made right? How can mankind be made right? Uh, people say, well, you know, most of the world doesn't know they're in sin. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Uh, in every culture, if you study anthropology, in every culture, uh, there are things that people know that's wrong. And it's not because they have laws, and not because they've ever even read the Bible. They, they know it's wrong. It's, it's established in man's heart. Things that are right and things that are wrong. Remember that the tree that Adam and Eve took of, though it was in rebellion, was a tree of knowledge of good and evil. Thank God it wasn't just the knowledge of evil. There was good in there, but it wasn't to the place where man was supposed to elevate his own good, which he did, and, and that's the story, and God knew that. But that there was, even in that, there was God purposing for a man to have the ability to do good. It's just that doing good doesn't make you saved. You're just doing good. So, you know, we could say, you know, it's just like you don't get any reward for driving the speed limit. You just don't get a ticket. So there's no reward in it. It's a good thing to do. Preaching it myself. Um, it's a good thing to do, but they don't ever stop you and say, hey, great job. You know, you're driving the speed limit because you would, you would yell at the policeman if he did. So anyway, um, so this right standing and how is man going to deal with this? Now, in our last session, and I'm not going to go back over all of that, but in the last session, uh, I want you to look at verse 18, and, uh, and then we'll build on this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So God's righteousness, his righteous activity, his righteous purposes, his righteous plans for mankind are revealed from heaven. They're written in the heavens, and I gave numerous passages, so you need to go back and listen to that when I finally get it re-recorded for you. So, um, if you missed that. But God's purposes are revealed. It's not been secret. Even in the stars, God has sown it in the hearts of man. And we finished with that verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11, that God has placed eternity in the heart of man. There is within every person born, descended from Adam and Eve, which is, yeah, all of us. So within everyone is, is a cry for, right, for eternity. There's a desire for something. But, what's it say in here? Many of them have suppressed the truth. It's revealed. Look at verse 19. For what can be known about God is what? What's the next word? Plain. What is known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. I'm reading from the ESV. 
for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, that is mankind, read the end of verse 7, so they are, I'm sorry, not verse 7, this is verse, uh, end of verse 20. So they are without excuse. All the earth is without excuse. There's a desire. There's a cry. What's man going to do about it? How is man going to respond? Now, Paul is going to go through four different approaches to dealing with this gaining right standing with God. The first one is to ignore it. And that's, we covered that in our last session. I called it hedonism. All right, hedonism comes from the Greek word edone, which simply means a, a craving for pleasure. It can be translated lust. It can be translated crave. Uh, it can be translated pleasure. Uh, but it's, a, it's an active pursuit of anything that makes you happy. Something that appeases you. That's hedonism. All right? And so that's pretty much the world's way. My response to that, uh, we find in Romans 1, 18, verse, uh, or Romans 1, 18 through 32, is that the world says this right standing thing, this, this being right with God, this doing things God's way, I don't want it. I don't need it. I don't even care about it. I want to live my life my way. And so Frank Sinatra wrote a song for them. <laughs> Did it my way. But as one man said, that's the theme song of people in hell. Um, my life, my way. I don't care what is right. I don't care what is wrong. I'll make up my own ways. I'm happy with myself. And so this whole thing of gaining a place of right standing with God, I don't care. Now, that's, now please, that's not Jeff. That's not what I believe. That's what they say. All right, I'm just taking their voice. All right, so they, the world's response to that, and this is a large part of the world large part of people that may have been raised Christian. They've come from Christian homes or they've come from absolute pagan society. And it, their attitude is, I'm going to do this my way. I want to live by my rules, my things, and this is what I want. And so that is one section, and we'll enlarge on that uh, in our next session. We'll take that section up. If we go to chapter 2, then we come to another group of people who are finding a way to uh, establish themselves with God. And I've called this moralism. It could also be called religion. And by religion, I don't just mean the the, quote, religions of the world. The greatest religion of the world right now is... Um, 
my own way. Selfism. The church of self. The, the people who are crying out for uh, attention. They want everything to be brought to the... We want to appease and we want everything to be done uh, well. We want to accept everyone except people in this room, uh, Christians. We, everybody has a place. Everybody has their own way. We leave them alone. That's the cry of the world right now, self. And so what the moralists say is, as I put there in my little slogans, my good is enough. And that's what chapter 2 talks about. My good. I, I do good. In fact, I, I'm doing better than him. Pointing out somebody, not, not anybody in this row here. I'm doing better than other people. I, I'm, I don't do what they do. Um, and what I am doing, I think, is purely okay. It's, it's just fine. We got we had some chairs in here. If you can find a place, okay. I just don't want you to have to wait outside. Okay, so my good is enough. I'm better than others. And here's the last point, and this is uh, we could come this from from Cain. Um, God will accept my way. They become their own. Um, Authority. God will accept my way. I know what the Bible says, but we'll change what the Bible says to what I think it should say. And so that we can all kind of coexist. Well, my most unfavorite bumper sticker coexist. I'm sorry if you have one on your car, but because coexist. You know, it's spelled with all the, all the religions. None of those religions want to exist with the others. I don't know what you're talking about. They don't want to coexist. All they want is for you to leave them alone. And the moralist, that's what he wants. I'm doing good. Because I've, I've created my own rules. And by my rules, I'm doing just fine. So, we'll talk about that more in depth. The third one, and this is where we're going to start tonight, the third one is legalism. Now, pretty much in the Bible, legalism is relegated to the Jewish people of the day. So this was the, the Jewish people who were establishing uh, their own righteousness, uh, that can be expanded in our day by some other things, but for the most part, in Paul here, it's the Jewish people who have established what they say. And the thing is, the statements I put down there, I know what God demands. I've got my Ten Commandments. Well, it's not ten, it's 613. And so I've got my commandments, I've, I looked them all up, and I've, I'm following them all. I do them, and my way is perfect. 
Really? Okay. So, Paul knows a lot about this line of reasoning. This line of establishing myself in a relationship with God. I'm not throwing him away. I'm not totally rejecting God and anything to do with God. I'm not establishing my own ways and establishing what I believe is right and living by those. No, I'm living by what God has said in his laws, what was written to us. And Paul knows that because that's how he lived. Bottom of your page, Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. Paul says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh. Now, by that flesh, don't think evil flesh. He's just talking about in the natural, in their natural life, all right? In, the, in their natural abilities, confidence in their own flesh, their own natural ability. I have more. You, you, think, you think you're good? <laughs> Let me tell you how good I am. I was circumcised on the eighth day, absolutely, by what the law commanded. Circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel. I was born to the right people. I'm out of the tribe of, I even know my lineage. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. That's where Saul came from. It's a great tribe. I'm out of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm not just, I'm not just Jewish. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Which in their way of thinking meant I wasn't just born Jewish. I was born Jewish in the land. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. You could be Hebrew and born in other part of the Roman Empire. Or the world. But if you're born in the land of Israel, you are a Hebrew of the Hebrews. So people would move to Israel just so they could have their children born there. Paul's family was from Tarsus, but he was born in Jerusalem, or in Israel anyway. He has a sister that was there, which he's revealed later in the book of Acts. So there was it's this attitude, I am not just Hebrew, I'm not a Greek Jew, I'm a Hebrew Jew. You, you think that doesn't make sense, but yeah, it does. And so in their, in their way of reasoning, this is, this is mine. Yeah, I went back to Tarsus and was raised there and educated there, but I was born in Israel. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees were those who proclaimed the law and held everyone else to it. There were there are people that say, you know, to live next to a Pharisee would be the most miserable life you could think of. Unless you live next to a Sadducee, which was even worse. All right. So, but a Pharisee was always pointing out what you're doing wrong. Everything, I know everything that you're supposed to be doing, and you're not doing it. You're not tithing some of the mint leaves. I, I've been over there. I counted the mint leaves in your garden. 
just to make sure. And then I watched what you tithed, and you were short. You didn't tithe all of your mint leaves. And so these were the people who were watching over the law and intensely, not just for themselves, but to make sure that you were breaking it. <laughs> That's what they're really interested in, finding where you are breaking the law. As to zeal, you, you want to know how zealous I was? The word zeal has to do with hot, <laughs> boiling, um, passionate. You know how zealous I was? I persecuted the church. Yeah, that's how zealous I was. I'm not going to let these people say that this man Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. I'm not going to put up with any of that. I'll get rid of them in my place of, of residence in, in Jerusalem. But you know what? There's people back in Damascus, and I'm going to go after them. So Paul wanted to go even to Damascus to find them. Persecuting the church. And as to righteousness, oh, here's that word righteousness. As to right standing, as to being judged and then brought by God into a place of right, as to righteousness, perfect, blameless. You can't find one law that I have not fulfilled. Now, there's no way you can live by 613 commandments. But almost a third of those commandments had to do with sacrifices. So knowing if I knew I broke a law, I burned a sacrifice. You know, you wonder how much blood was shed just for Paul in his growing up. Started at his birth, then on from his eighth day, the sacrifices there, on and on through his life. How much blood was shed just for one man? Wow. So Paul knows about this. Another illustration of this is in Matthew chapter, or uh, yeah, Mark chapter, doesn't say 17 because there's not 17 chapters. I think it's supposed to be chapter 11. Verses 17 through 20. My computer gets things backwards sometimes. So it's Mark 11, 17 through 20, but it's written there for you. And as he, but the he there is Jesus, as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Be brought into right standing. What do I have to do? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. Verse 19. But you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. You know, you know the commandments. And the young man said to Jesus, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Now, only an arrogant Pharisee would make some kind of a statement like that. And this man 
was obviously establishing himself. I've kept all of these. And then, of course, Jesus responds with something this man cannot do, and ultimately the man goes away. But that's not the subject here. So, there are those who establish themselves, especially the Jewish people of the day, and persecuting the church because the church was telling people that Jesus' sacrifice of himself, his death, his resurrection, has removed all need for shedding blood of lambs and goats, turtle doves, pigeons, bullocks. He is the perfect sacrifice, and he has made that for us. And by faith in him, you can be made righteous. And the Pharisees say, no. And we'll put you to death if we have to. Now, the thing is, God doesn't let people off that easily. God doesn't let you off by saying, concerning the law, I was blameless. I've kept all these from my youth. I am, I'm perfect. God won't let you off on that. Because he's not going to let these people off. And so in Romans chapter 2 and then on into chapter 3, Paul's going to tear that down, and we'll look more in depth at that later on. But God will not allow humanity to glory in themselves. The hedonist says, I don't even care about God. The moralist says, I've got my own rules, my own relationships. I've made my way to God, and that's good. But the legalist says, I've done everything that God demands, and God said, no way. No, you have not. Romans chapter 7. God won't let you glory in your own abilities. Paul says in Romans 7 verse 16. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. In other words, I I know I've broken the law. When I broke the law, I know I broke the law. Come on. Your parents came in and said, did you do this? No. No. You know you did. You know you broke the law. You know you did it as soon as you did it. In fact, you knew you did it when you were thinking about doing it. But you did it anyway. I do the things. I'm agreeing the law is good, but I don't like it because I can't live by it. Verse 17, so now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. I can't help myself. It's the sin that's on the inside. I I don't have control over this. And that's true. Till you're born again, you don't have any way to control. All you have is external things, punishment if you do what's wrong. But back to that speed limit thing. You know it's wrong. I'll move on. But... I, I determine I'm not going to I'm not going to be afraid of that. It's sin in me. I can't help myself. My car just wants to go faster. It just it just does. I've got to blow the cobwebs out. All right, it's carbon buildup. I've got to. Yeah, verse eighteen. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is, in my flesh. 
that flesh, that's that part of man that is not in contact with God. It is not in communion with God. It is not submitted to God. The part that says, this is me. The end of that passage. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. See, God won't let you glory in your own abilities. You, even though you say, I've done all the law, no, you can only have done the law if you've also made the sacrifices, which says you didn't do the law. Because every sacrifice you offered said, I'm not right. I need somebody. I need a substitute. Now, lambs will serve. But that wasn't God's purpose. God's purpose was a son who would carry this out. The seed of the woman that would be the one who would remove sin and ultimately bring man back into that relationship with God. But breaking the law says, I'm not doing this right. 1 Timothy 1.8 uh, Paul also says, we know that the law is good. Listen to the statement. 1 Timothy 1.8. We know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. In other words, if you use it rightly. What do you mean you use the law rightly? Galatians chapter 2. Why then do we have the law? Verse 19. Why, why do we even have this law? If we can't live by it, why do we have it? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring, that is the seed, should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. So God had established that there would be someone who would bring this about. Verse 21, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. If God had, had the ability to give a law by which you could have right standing with God if you did it, but you can't do it. And God knew that, so he also made a sacrifice. So even if there was just one, not 10, not 613, if there was just one law, you'd break that, but God would make a way. Oh, yeah, that happened in the garden. One rule, one sacrifice. Some animals slain so that the skins could cover their nakedness. So it was that God had established that pattern from the very beginning. Blood must be shed. Someone has to pay for the breaking of the law. If God puts you to death, then you can't live for him. So God brought forth a substitute. And for millennia, it was lambs, goats, animal sacrifices, their blood paying, but that blood didn't pay for man's sin. There was one sacrifice that God would accept, and that was the sacrifice of his son. 
but faith in that promise. What promise? That God would make a way. That God would bring forth a substitute. That God would judge your sin and bring you back into right standing with Him. Give you righteousness. Galatians chapter 2, verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. By faith, he means the faith of the Christian message. The message of believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Before faith came, we were held captive under the law. Imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. And so the law held mankind captive. Verse 24, so then the law was our guardian. The word guardian is also the Greek word for tutor. So guardian is kind of a, we think more of a security official. Um, no, the, the idea of the Greek word is a tutor. The Greek word pedagogus. A pedagogue. Maybe you've heard that word. When we went to Russia, they took the Greek word pedagogue and they use it. Pedagogue. That's the word. And it's the word for a teacher. And so a pedagogue was someone who would teach you, someone who would lead you. And the purpose of the pedagogue was a slave whose job it was to teach you how to live like your father. It's not just he was teaching you math. He was your tutor to teach you how to live like your father. That was a pedagogue. And so this was the responsibility that was given. Paul calls himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul calls himself a pedagogue. But you know what? What was he teaching us? How to live like our father. That's the point. And so the idea is that we need someone to teach us how to live like the father. The law was there. The law was a pedagogue. But here's the problem. The pedagogue can't change you. The pedagogue can tell you. It can point out your wrong, your right, point out your weaknesses, your strengths, but it can't change you. Why do you keep doing that? I don't know. We all said that to our parents. What is, what's gotten into you? the devil <laughs> sin mom dad I can't help myself I was born with this you just have to accept it <laughs> that would just earn you another spanking so anyway um, no the law was our guardian our pedagogue but he couldn't change us it just told us you're doing right you're doing wrong this is how your father wants you to live. This is how your father lives. This is how he he's, does it. Do like your father. I can't. I can't. The law was our guardian until Christ came. In order that we might be justified. How? By faith. Our justification, now the word justification is linked to the word righteous. It has to be to be made righteous, all right? So justified comes from the same root. That we might be justified by faith. 
that that's the way that God has established it to be done. And the might be isn't, isn't a potential of maybe you'll be justified, maybe you won't. It's, it's operational. It's this is how it is to be. That we might be, that this is the way God wants it to be justified by faith. Faith in what? Faith in your ability? That's uh, not working. That's what I was living by. Faith in the law? No, the law's not helping me. It just tells me I'm wrong. And I don't like it. How many ever, when you were told not to do something? It just made you want to do it more. It, can, it can't change you. But what can change you? Faith. Faith in what? In the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The righteous shall live by faith. Our righteousness comes from our faith, not from our abilities. But the legalist says, I can do this. I can do this. Look how good I'm doing it. Look how well I'm doing it. Hey, and we can bring this into our, our Pentecostal <laughs> Protestant churches just as easily. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I prayed this way. I prayed that way. We get into this. It's almost like we can't help ourselves. I prayed the perfect prayer. Nine steps to perfect prayer. I did them all. God has to answer my prayer. It doesn't work that way. And we establish our own little legalistic attitudes and legalistic ways. And we like to blame, oh, well, look at the Roman church. Hey, look at all the rules that they have. Look at all the rules you have. We've got our own little rules of legalism, and they're not changing us. But faith will. Faith in what God has done for us through his Son, Jesus Christ. That's faith. The law came to lead us. There's a lot more that we'll cover in these points. But look at Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and my prayers to God for them, that is Israel, that is the Jews, for them is that they might be saved. They might be saved. The people that are living by this legalism will find that place. Verse 2, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. Legalists have a zeal for God. But what? But not according to knowledge. Not according to the knowledge that God has given in his word. Not according to the knowledge that God has given even from the Old Testament, people weren't saved by the law in the Old Testament. They were saved by faith. Because you couldn't do the law. And we'll read a verse, by the law is no flesh justified. You can't be made right. You cannot be made righteous by the law. <coughs> but by faith... You believe. It can't be that simple. 
There it is. God made a beautiful illustration. Israel in the wilderness and their sin of, of um, murmuring and grumbling against God and denying what God had wanted for them to have. So God turned their sin into serpents. So oh, you're grumbling. What if, what if every sin that you committed became a poisonous snake at your feet? It would, you'd start changing your mind, wouldn't you? So much for that. All right, I'm not going to do that again. So God turned their grumbling into poisonous serpents that were killing them. They didn't see that sin was killing them, murmuring, grumbling, complaining, denying the promise that God had made. They didn't see that that was killing them. It was. But when God turned the sin into serpents, suddenly they were dying. And God established one thing. Take a serpent and make one out of bronze, copper actually, and put it on a pole. Don't take the real serpent, make a serpent out of bronze and put it on a pole and lift it up. Why? Because copper in the Old Testament was a type of the judgment of sin. So take the sin, judge it, and then lift it up. Judged sin. Judged rebellion. Put it up. And everyone who looks at their sin being judged will live. Wow. Looks. It didn't say you had to go there. All you had to do was look. That's a type of faith. Faith is not difficult. God didn't say you have to crawl there. He didn't say you have to make one yourself. He didn't have to say you had to make a journey of 10,000 miles. All you had to do was look, and you would live. Look at the judgment of sin. Jesus brings that out just before one of the most well-known verses in all of the Bible, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Just before that, Jesus said, so the Son of Man, like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Why? The Son has to be judged for your sin and be lifted up. Why? Because God loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to become your sin. To be judged and for the sin to be removed. No, he didn't become a sinner. He became sin. So this was God doing for us what we could. I can't get rid of these serpents at my feet. But if I look to God, he will heal them. And then the beautiful part, and we'll get this later on in the book of Romans, then he puts his spirit within me so that I can live for him. But that comes after salvation. Bottom of page 2, Romans chapter 2. You who boast in the law, that is, these Jewish legalists, right? See legalism here. Or anyone else who establishes, this is the way I can, I can do that. I can do everything God demands of me. 
You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. You say you can keep it, but you can't. That's why God put the sacrifices in there. I can't keep the law. I need blood. Somebody has to die. And for thousands and thousands of years, it was lambs. But that didn't pay the price. But one man's blood did. And so God established that this is how he would do it. You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. And you know you do. Paul could say I'm blameless. Yeah, blameless because I offered sacrifices for every sin I committed. Verse 24, for as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You pride yourself in the law and let you break it. Your bitterness, your hatred, your rejection of people, your arrogance, your pride, all those things were just as much a breaking of the law. Jesus said, you say, I didn't murder my brother. Yeah, but you hate him. Well, that's, the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not hate your brother. Yeah. Jesus said it's the same. So these are the principles. Then finally, Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says... It speaks to those who are under the law. The law was given. I want you to hear this. And we'll build on this later in the course. The law was not given to the world. The law was given to the Jews. God never asked the world to live by the law. He commanded the Jews to live by it. And this was the example that God was using. The only way to God is perfection. And he used Israel as a, as a representation of you've got to find perfection, but you can't find perfection, so you need a sacrifice. You need a Savior. You need a Messiah. You need a Christ. You need someone who's dying for you. And that's what God brought forth. Romans chapter 3. Again, verse 19, those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped. That means shut. <laughs> every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. The Jews couldn't live by it, and the rest of the world was shut out from it. And so they had no access to God. Verse 20, for by the works of the law... No human being will be justified. No one. That's the bottom of your page. Romans 3.20. For by the works of the law, no person is justified in God's sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Sin could, or law could not do anything. Again, Why? It's just changed you. You can look at a mirror all day and say, and the mirror can say, you don't look right. 
You don't look right. But the law, but the mirror can't change you. It can just tell you how beautiful you are. Yeah. You got broccoli in your teeth. Your hair's sticking up in the wrong place. Your buttons are not buttoned properly. Yeah. There's all kinds of things the mirror can tell you, but it can't do a thing about it. And the law was like that mirror. It just pointed it out. But it couldn't help you. But God had a way to help. So there was another way. And so the last one, we've had hedonism, moralism, legalism. The last one, my title, top of page three. I made up the word. Gracism. I didn't know what else to call it. I, I needed one word, ism, so I couldn't come up with another one. If you, you don't like it, make your own. Gracism. I have nothing in myself. I look at the laws, I look at the requirements, I look at all those things and say, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do the 10, let alone the other 603. I can't even remember 10. Right? It's like, you know, I, I could get there. I could probably end up with 10. But there's no way I could remember what command 478 is. There may be some people who have that kind of intelligence. I don't. Listen to Paul, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, who arrogantly professed that he was perfect, blameless, that he had everything to boast in, that it was all him. 1 Timothy 1, verse 13. Now, this is the voice translation because I just I liked the way that it presents it. You can read it, ESV, King James, New King James, NIV. But here's what it says in the voice. Despite the fact that at one time I was slandering the things of God, persecuting and attacking his people, he was still merciful to me because I acted in ignorance apart from faith. Now, Paul's not using that as an excuse. He's just saying that's the reality. Who knew more about the law than Paul? Yet he says, I was acting in ignorance. I didn't get it. I just didn't get it. Verse 14, but he, God was merciful to me. Why? He poured his grace over me. But his grace was abundant unto me is what it says in the King James. But he poured his grace over me and I was flooded in an abundance of the grace and faith and love that can only be found in Jesus, the anointed or the Christ. I was just overwhelmed. It was like I was bathed. This, this abundance just poured out on me. Like out of a bucket, it just ran over me. Grace, faith, and love. Abundantly. Verse 15, here's a statement worthy of trust. Jesus the Christ, the anointed, the liberating king, came into the world to save sinners. 
He came to find people who say, I can't do this. I can't do this. And one day you found yourself in that place. I grew up in a church. Church every Sunday from about the time I was four. My parents, if we would visit my grandparents over in Indiana, went to a Quaker church. There was, it was just what we did. Went through all the catechism, answered all the questions, got confirmed at the front of the church on a Sunday. Didn't mean a thing to me. I knew it. I knew, I knew the stories. In fact, I learned things in Sunday school that I still can draw back to. So thank God for Sunday school teachers. But, you know, I didn't know anything about it. I saw that, uh, you know, there's stuff, I, there's stuff I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing, and I don't need to tell you what they were. But I thought, one of these days I'll stop. Today's not the day. But one of these days I will. And by the time I get to heaven, I'll have done enough good things to outweigh my bad stuff. Not nobody, nobody preached that to me. I just came to that conclusion within myself. Because that's man's way. I can do this when I'm ready. I'm just not ready yet. Jesus Christ came into, into the world to save what? Sinners. Sinners. Yeah, you got to know you are. And I'm the worst of them all. Verse 16, but it is for this reason I was given mercy. I couldn't do this. I was given mercy by displaying his perfect patience in me, the worst of all sinners. Jesus the anointed could show that patience, that same patience to all who would believe in him and gain eternal life. Your eternal life isn't based on what you can do. It's not based on your ability, your perfection. It's what he can do. There is only one way to find, receive, and live in righteousness, right standing. How is that? The way of grace through Jesus Christ. And that way is gained how? By faith. Grace and faith. Grace and faith. I like to think of them as two sides of a coin. Grace is the God side, what he does for us. Faith is my side, what I believe. God's grace I receive by faith. And so God's ability, his strength made perfect in my weakness. God in his grace gave his son that I through faith can be saved. What a beautiful way God has given, not by doing it right. And, I, and neither do I have to write it off, looking at it, say, I can't do this, so I'm just going to live my own way and, pardon the phrase, to hell with it. But that's exactly where I would end up. And I can't do it by establishing my own rules and my own ways. 
These are the things. I'll, I'll do these things to get to God. This is, this is my religion. Your religion won't work. There's only one thing that works. Grace and faith through Jesus Christ. Galatians 2 verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. You got to read that with the satirical attitude that Paul is promoting. We're not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. Boasting of ourselves as being Jews, not Gentile sinners, we're still guilty. We're not saved. We're not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith. We're saved that way, so we believed and we were saved that way. By faith in Christ, not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Verse 16 of Romans chapter 4, it's there about the middle of your page. Romans 4 verse 16 says, that's why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace. See, God's grace, your faith. God said, I'm going to make it a matter of faith, not works, not your ability. I'm going to make it a matter of faith. And if it's a matter of faith, then I will give the grace by which you can be saved. By, it depends on faith that it might be by grace and be guaranteed to all the offspring. Not everybody can work. Not everybody can do it right. Not everybody can live it right like Paul. How many of you could not live it right like Paul, who was blameless? I can't. But I can have faith. I can believe. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. Romans 3, verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God Again, we're back to that phrase, God's righteous activity, His righteous working, His judging your sin and bringing you into a place of right standing. The righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. It doesn't come through the law. It's separate from the law. That's what the word apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, they all said it would be the law told you you can't be saved by this. You need a sacrifice. The prophets bear witness to it. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There's no distinction. Jew, Gentile. Why? Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And don't preach verse 23 without bringing verse 24 all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god and are justified made righteous brought into right standing by grace as a gift 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Don't preach in verse 23 without verse 24. Amen. If you're not giving people an answer, all you're doing is pointing out their failure. Right. Whom God put forth as a propitiation, big word which we'll talk about, by his blood to be received by how? By how? By faith. There's a lot of people today, it's called universalism, that say, well, Jesus died for everybody, therefore everybody's saved. You don't have to do anything. You can, you can live your life, be an atheist, be a Buddhist, be a Muslim, live your life the way you want to. Jesus already paid the price. You're going to go to heaven. No, it's by faith. By faith. You cannot take faith out of these passages. Why? This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over our former sins. All of that stuff in the Old Testament that they couldn't do, God passed over that waiting for the time when his son would be revealed. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he, God, might be just, the righteous one. And the justifier, the righteousness of fire, right? The justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It is God who is just, not you. Well, if I can't be just, I'll just live my life the way I want to. No, that won't work. God will justify you. Why? Because he is the just one. That's what he does. For all who have what? Faith in Jesus. Well, I got faith in this. No, faith in Jesus. Yeah, but there, there's got to be another way. Why can't I have my own way? Because it's faith in Jesus. You didn't set the rules. You didn't die on the cross. You don't get to set the rules. Faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul here, having presented these ways of man gaining right standing, we will start next week with chapter 1, verse 18, some of the uh, darkest passages in the New Testament. Yet, it presents very clearly that God wanted man saved. It was man who said, I don't want it. And so we'll see all of that. This is Paul's gospel. This is the gospel of God. Father, we thank you for this time tonight. I thank you, Lord, that you help those things that I have taught to um, be brought into our understanding. Father, thank you that um, you make clear to us your purpose, your plan. Now, Father, not only do we glorify you for what you've done in us, but we glorify you for what you will do through us. That you might be glorified in our life, in our work, in our families, in our relationships, and in our witness. And we thank you for these things, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.